January 27th, 1945. Just east of a small town in Holland called Aswenshim, four young men on horseback approach enemy territory. They're Soviet soldiers. They wear a silver-gray uniform, heavy fur hats, rifles strapped across their bodies. They approach a barbed wire fence and flash it down. Today, we go back 75 years to the liberation of Auschwitz. We know now that it was one of the largest Nazi concentration and extermination camps of the Holocaust. 1.3 million people entered its gates, and 1.1 million of them never left. Today, the camp has become a symbol for the Holocaust itself synonymous with the Nazis' systematic, state-sponsored mass murder. But back in early 1945, when Auschwitz was liberated, the story only made page three of the New York Times. It was summarized in just two sentences and was overshadowed by other news. In 2018, a survey asked a random group of young Americans about the Holocaust— can you name one of the 40,000 Nazi-run camps or ghettos? And almost half of the participants couldn't name a single one. This week marks the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, a day of remembering. But anniversaries are strange. They pick one day out of a huge, complicated story— in the story of the Holocaust, the liberation of camps like Auschwitz was neither the beginning nor the end. The Holocaust didn't begin at Auschwitz, and it didn't begin with gas chambers. It didn't begin with concentration camps. It began with the othering and the dehumanization of a large, high-profile group of people. I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. As we commemorate the liberation of Auschwitz, we ask, what exactly are we remembering? And what have we forgotten? height of World War II, trains from all over Europe left their stations with a single destination. Auschwitz. Mindu Hornick, a 12-year-old Jewish girl from Czechoslovakia, was on one of those trains. They put us to a railway line and put us in a cattle truck, in a wagon. And there must have been 70 of us in a wagon. I mean, they were body to body. And all they had is a bucket in the middle and no water, no sanitation. That bucket was the only sanitation. And we shunted forward a couple of, two or three days. And suddenly we arrived at a place. This place was Auschwitz. We spoke with historian and author Jeremy Dronefield, who says that even at the time, amongst those in the concentration camps, 
Auschwitz was the most notorious. In other concentration camps, you had a chance of surviving. But they believed transfer to Auschwitz was a certain death sentence. How did Auschwitz become a place whose name alone carried so much fear? The groundwork was set decades before Mindu boarded that train. Treachery and incompetence had doomed the nation that only a decade ago had been leader of Europe. Germany had been great in the previous century. It had been great and powerful and influential. And in World War I, it had been betrayed and let down, and it was now weak. In the early 1930s, the Great Depression hit Germany and further weakened its economy. People were fearful and angry. Adolf Hitler saw an opportunity. He capitalized on economic anxiety and he rose to dominance. He gained the most votes of any party in the nationwide elections. He came to power within a young but established democratic system and then became a dictator. Hitler's goal was to make Germany powerful again. And to make Germany strong and forceful, you had to clear out these malign influences, and that meant getting rid of the Jews. Hitler mobilized the anti-Semitism that had existed in Germany for centuries and painted the Jewish people as a common enemy. If the international financial Jews within and without Europe should succeed again in plunging the people into another world war. Nazi propaganda claimed that the Jews had shirked service during World War I, that they were the children of the devil, that they were a race inferior and poisonous. German citizens are only those of German or related blood willing to serve the German Reich and people. And many Germans bought into these lies. German society under the Nazis was intensely anti-Semitic and Jews were persecuted from day one. But it wasn't really until the late 30s that they began to be sent in large numbers to the camps. They were being sent to camps mostly within Germany. But in 1939, the Nazis invaded Poland. Germany attacked. 175 divisions of young German soldiers gathered... And World War II began. Hitler wanted somewhere to send thousands of Polish prisoners he deemed a political threat. Most of them weren't Jewish. And he found a vast complex of barracks from the 1800s in the town of Aswentium. In German, Auschwitz. Auschwitz I was the core camp. That was the headquarters. It was a holding place. And that is the camp with the famous slogan over the gateway. Arbeit macht frei. Or in English, work sets you free. The concentration camp began in this one complex. At first, it was mainly a detention center, but Auschwitz soon became the site of persecution and murder for several groups who were considered undesirables. For example, the Roma people, known to Germans as gypsies, also Germans who were gay and anyone who was considered disabled, 
and, of course, Jewish people. Initially, Hitler's plan was to force all the Jewish people to flee Germany and German-occupied territories to countries like the U.S., the U.K., and Palestine. This would have meant huge numbers of refugees, and those countries wouldn't take them, at least not in sufficient numbers. When Jewish people didn't or couldn't emigrate en masse, Hitler's solution shifted. Things changed drastically in 1942. The Nazi regime enacted a policy called the Final Solution to the Jewish Question. It aimed to exterminate all Jewish people and any memory of Jewish life. And it wasn't really until 1942 that large numbers of Jews began being sent to Auschwitz. And the large extension camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau was established, which eventually became the major death camp of the Auschwitz complex. That's where the gas chambers and crematoria were built. The gas chambers were structures designed for mass murder. The crematoria were designed to burn the bodies. And there is a absolutely shocking piece of aerial footage that the Red Army took of flying over Auschwitz-Birkenau at low altitude. And it seems to go on forever. During this time, many people risked their lives to hide their Jewish neighbors, but many more stayed silent. So, with the public's eyes and ears turned away, train after train left from stations all over Europe with people packed shoulder to shoulder. And when the trains arrived at Auschwitz... The thing that would define your existence would be whether you got sent to the left or the right. Those deemed fit to work were sent to the right. Those deemed unfit, the old, the young, the sick, the disabled, or anyone who made what the guards considered to be a scene, they would be sent to the left. Survivor Mindu Hornick arrived with her older sister, her mother, and her two younger brothers. When the train stopped, we were, as I said, right by the door, and there were these sort of spaces in between those carriages. And my mother said to me, um, I don't know where we are. And I looked through and I could see Polish, Auschwitz. It wasn't, uh, the Germans called it Auschwitz. When the doors opened, I mean, it was just all hell let loose. There were the barking dogs, viciously walking around. There were loudspeakers always. And these SS men walking around with shiny boots and guns on their back. And one of these striped uniformed men came in a capo. They're called capos. And he came and he looked around. And he said to my mother in Yiddish, to let these girls go ahead, that we will see her later. He was a prisoner already. His job was to direct people out of the train when they arrived at Auschwitz. And he was so convincing because of where we were and her fear of what's going to happen. She said, you better do as this man says. This man knew her brothers wouldn't pass the age inspection. They were too young. 
And he had seen what happened to families arriving with young children. They wouldn't want to separate. They would make a, quote, scene, and they would all be sent to the left. And I think that Capo must have known that this strain of mothers and children that were no use to them for work would end up in the guest chambers. And that's why he must have looked in that coach and thought to himself, well, perhaps I'll try and save a couple. So Mindu and her sister went ahead, and they were sent to the right. We looked back and we saw our mother was a spotted scarf and we waved to her. And we went ahead. Their mother and brothers were sent to the left. This man promised we will see our mother. And they told us, can you see this terrible smoke and dirt that you are wanting to know what the dirty smell was? That's where your mother is. 900,000 Jews of the 1.1 million who died at Auschwitz were killed immediately upon arrival. Those who passed inspection were not killed immediately, but going to the right meant a different horror. Once we entered there, we thought we'd entered hell. There were bodies everywhere. And there were these um, watchtowers with machine guns pointing at us. I mean, we just couldn't couldn't breathe. We couldn't we didn't know where we were, we didn't know what was happening. Prisoners were stripped of everything they came in with and given prison garb. They marched us into uh, shower rooms to be deloused, our heads shaven. We had to sit there naked for men shaving our heads, shaving our hairs off. And the, the degradation for young girls like ourselves, and possibly even our mother didn't see us undressed. You couldn't believe that was actually happening to you. They were subjected to beatings, harsh physical labor. They were starved. I think the hunger, you never forget it. Mindu was transferred to a different labor camp soon after arriving at Auschwitz. That's where our luck came, because there is no way you could have survived for a long time in Auschwitz. Despite its horrors, Auschwitz had a high number of survivors compared to many of the other camps in Germany. An estimated 100,000 people were alive by the end of the war. But many of them were not actually liberated at Auschwitz on the day that we honor this week. Thousands of Russian tanks crushed Nazi resistance and German dead lit the roads as the Great Red Army sweeps from... By January of 1945, Germany was losing the war and the Red Army was closing in. So the Nazis were hurrying to hide their atrocities, destroying the gas chambers, burning records, and forcibly sending the 60,000 prisoners who were healthy enough on what we call today the death marches. The prisoners walked for many miles and for days on end to camps deeper in German territory. This was the dead of winter. Thousands of prisoners died. Those who survived ended up in other camps riddled with disease and packed with prisoners. 
On January 27, 1945, the Soviet army discovers the camp. But not the tens of thousands of prisoners who had been held there just weeks prior. This was essentially what they found, an abandoned camp with the remaining evidence of the atrocities that had been perpetrated there. And just about 7,000 prisoners in total who were left behind. So, on the day of liberation, though the evidence of the crimes committed at the camp was in plain sight, at the time, it hardly made the news. In the middle of 1944, they had liberated Majdanek, a death camp in eastern Poland. And that had been a major international news story. But by January 1945 and the liberation of Auschwitz, the discovery of a large SS concentration camp and death camp was overshadowed by the news coverage of the Yalta Conference, where the big three powers were going to be deciding the fate of Europe after the war. And hardly any attention internationally was given to Auschwitz. The war was still raging in most of Europe. Germany had yet to be defeated. So, at the time, to most people, the name Auschwitz carried no meaning. And for those who had lived through Auschwitz and survived... Liberation was just a beginning. Liberation was another struggle to survive. To survive long enough to eventually, somehow, if it was possible, make your way back home. On a practical level, survivors had to fight for their health in the immediate days following the liberation. At Auschwitz and at other liberated camps, Allied forces repurposed the camp facilities to set up infirmaries, but the problem was too big. The Allies weren't prepared for liberating these millions of displaced persons, survivors. They just didn't have the resources, the facilities to treat the majority of them in the humane manner that they needed. And many died in the period afterwards because of a lack of medical care. Many were unsavable. And I don't know that anyone necessarily could have prepared adequately for it. I didn't even know that I was liberated. I was that sick. That's Bill Harvey. He's a Jewish survivor of Auschwitz, born in 1924 in Czechoslovakia. Days before his liberation, Bill was sent on a death march. He almost froze to death and was left on a pile of bodies. When I arrived to the crematorium, the prisoner who worked there discovered that I was still alive. He saved my life. I was age of 21. I weighed 72 pounds. I could not stand up even on my feet. But I was so happy to be alive. Once he was healthy enough, Bill, along with so many others, had to ask himself, what should I do next? Many people tried to go home, but they arrived to find their homes occupied by other people. Sometimes SS officials, sometimes neighbors, possibly the same neighbors who had turned them over to the Nazis. And when I went back, my closest neighbor said to us, Hitler left a few Jews to hate us. Anti-Semitism was still rampant. And what's more, people returned to towns and cities that had seen the worst of World War II. 
It's reported that one million Jewish people left Europe as a result of the Holocaust. And Bill was one of them. He emigrated to America only a few months after liberation. It was age of 22, and I was came with one pair of shoes and shirt and slacks, and I was determined to make a success out of my life. As with many immigrants, Bill had a foreign accent, a foreign language, a foreign culture. And I wanted to go to work. So I had the language barrier. I didn't speak English, but I spoke five other languages, not one correct. And though the U.S. had fought against the Nazis, anti-Semitism had recently been a part of mainstream politics. I ask you in the name of Christianity... Prior to World War II, America had its very own, very thriving, very active and very aggressive Nazi party. It had politicians and newspaper editors who were keen for America to align itself with Nazi Germany. Though the U.S. offered a new start for thousands of refugees after the war, there was a lot of hostility. I ask you if you will rise in your places and pledge with me to restore America to the Americans. Things were being said about Jewish refugees in the press, that they were a threat to the American way of life. It was said that they they didn't integrate with American or British society. And that anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-refugee sentiment in the, the late 30s and the early 40s was an underlying continuing current in society. In the three years immediately after the war, 24 Nazi leaders were tried for their crimes. Including the murder and persecution of all people opposed to the Nazi party, and the enslavement, exploitation, and deportation of civilian population. Many, but not all, received the death penalty. A lot of people in the world and in Germany felt that justice had been served. And the atrocities of the camps began to fade into the archives. By 1960, a generation of young Germans had grown up believing that the stories about Auschwitz were hugely exaggerated. Auschwitz was becoming almost a mythic, semi-forgotten name. And it was only when a Frankfurt lawyer, who had served time in one of the concentration camps, decided to bring a trial against SS personnel who had worked in Auschwitz, that that picture began to change. In the early 1960s, both Auschwitz and the Holocaust came back into world news thanks to the Frankfurt trials, as well as the trial of Adolf Eichmann in 1961. He was responsible for sending thousands upon thousands of Hungarian Jews to Auschwitz in 1944, most of whom were gassed immediately upon arrival. Caused the killing of millions of Jews is the person responsible for the execution of the Nazi plan known as the final solution of the Jewish problem. And these trials? Those were world events. And it was at that point, really, that the Holocaust became this all-pervading historical event that we think of now. And Auschwitz, at the center of it all, became the symbol that we know it as today. But... For survivors like Bill, it's not just a symbol. I got a breakdown, and I did all the crying for three months, and it was a difficult time. And I'm 
very grateful that thank God that God gave me common sense to know that you have one life to live and I had the wisdom to know how to proceed with my life. Bill and so many others found a way to go on. The best revenge in life is success. I was determined to make a success out of my life and that's what I did. Bill picked up English. He became highly skilled in the art of beauty. He ended up doing hair and makeup for movie stars like Judy Garland and the Gabor family. You can't hate your enemies because when you hate, you're not living. But today, Bill is worried. I don't believe that the world learned the lessons from the Holocaust. That study from 2018 that polled Americans about the Holocaust, it also asked, could the Holocaust happen again? Over half of the participants said, yes. But Bill believes we have a hand in our own future. He says, When I had the breakdown, I came to a conclusion that God created human beings not puppets. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching... Check your cable guide to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. 